Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We're in week eight of our series through the book of Revelation. Chapter 12 takes us into an intense journey through a royal cosmic rumble. Enjoy the message. All right, how many of you have flown before? How many of you have flown before? Just, how many of you have not flown on a jet airline? That's okay, raise your hand up high if you haven't before. Okay, I ha- I, I, my first flight was when I was in grad school, 2005, all right? I've flown hundreds of times now. It's, it's crazy to think that I got through all of high school and all of college and never stepped foot on an airplane. And so my first flight, my first flight ever, was an international flight to Cairo, Egypt, all right? And so everybody on this flight was like, oh, you know, they were just, they had been on so many flights in their life. They knew what all the sounds were. I didn't know what a single sound was. Like when the, when the, when the gear, the wheel gears were going up and you hear the, boom, I thought we were crashing, okay? And my mom was like, you've never been on a flight before. Oh, of course I have, right? So my first flight was to Cairo and we were gonna be doing some work uh, with the church in Egypt. And of course, though, uh, that was a major part, the majority part of why we went, but we did have a day off. And if you have a day off in Egypt, what are you gonna see? The pyramids, right? So I got to see the pyramids. I got to see the Sphinx. By the way, across the street from the Sphinx is a Pizza Hut KFC, all right? So yeah, you know, I to commercialize it, all right? But of course, you're gonna see the pyramids. And the awesome thing, I don't know if you can do this any longer, but at least in 2005, you could actually go in to the pyramids. Now, the pyramids are one of the ancient wonders of the world. In fact, when the pharaohs would die, they'd build these giant pyramids as a giant sarcophagus. Uh, and and they, would, they would put the body of the pharaoh inside this pyramid with all his stuff that he wanted to be around him. And many believe that these pyramids, and there's so many different theories of what pyramids are about. People are like, oh, aliens built them. I, I think probably the Israelites built them, to be honest. Uh, but the, the pharaohs believed that when they went in these pyramids, how they were, how they were positioned in the sky towards the stars that these would be capsules to help resurrect uh, the pharaohs into all of eternity. And so, so people would stuff all their stuff in there, all their junk, all the pharaoh's junk, and they would put the pharaoh in there thinking that he would resurrect. So when I went into the Great Pyramid, the Great Pyramid of Giza, and I went inside, and it was like you, you, would, you would climb some stairs, you'd go in this dark tunnel, there's a tunnel that you have to kind of bend over, and then all of a sudden there was this giant big room And there was this center part of the room where the Pharaoh is to lay. But I want to tell you, when I went inside the Great Pyramid of Giza, you know what I found? It was empty. The tomb was empty. Now, this made me think, okay, if this pyramid is, is, a, is supposed to be a place where pharaohs are to resurrect in all of eternity, and I'm coming inside the pyramid, there's nothing in here. What's this mean? Well, I'll tell you what this means. Some things have been robbed, but most of the things that were inside the pyramid, they go around museums where you can see all the different things that the pharaohs liked. He didn't resurrect, no. All the artifacts that have survived decay are in museums that you can see, and when you go into the pyramid, it's empty because the things have been removed. You see, the thing is this. There are many people and many tombs around the world that you can visit. Some are empty because things were taken. Some are still there. But I want to tell you of a tomb that is empty, a tomb that we're going to be celebrating that is empty next week. It is the tomb of Jesus Christ. He is not there because his body was stolen. Uh, He is not there because he's on display or his things are on display in a museum. No, he is not there because the Bible clearly states he is resurrected. He is not there because 500 witnesses saw Jesus Christ walk around and, and, and minister amongst people. He is not there because when Jesus Christ walked after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven and says, behold, I'm coming in the same way that I've gone. We serve a resurrected Savior. And the reason why all these other religions, the reason why even in secular society that we want our lives to be better and we want to live longer is because we don't want to die. And if we don't want to die, we at least want to try to be good so that maybe, maybe, maybe we can have a good afterlife. Well, the beautiful thing about the book of Revelation is this. You can know today without a shadow of a doubt that you can live in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ right now and that you have the promise of the resurrected Savior for all of eternity. Isn't that great, church? Our hearts long for eternal life. Every single one of our hearts long for eternal life. Not a single person wants to die and just be buried in the ground. Does your heart long for eternal life? Am I right, church? Is it just me? I long for eternal life, and I know that all of you, whether this is your first time in this church or you've been in church your whole entire life, our hearts long for eternal life. 
The last few weeks we've been looking into how Jesus will come back. And but before uh, he creates a new heaven and new earth, is what we will get into in our second part of Revelation. There's great judgments that will occur uh, all throughout the earth. And we've been seeing these. We saw these in, in fact, we'll put up the chart there if you could. Uh, we saw the, the seal judgments, all right? Uh, there was a scroll that Jesus held in his hand. And as he pulled back the seven seals of that scroll, a judgment would occur on earth. And finally, when he got to that seventh seal, it opened up the scroll and opened up seven additional judgments. And this is what we went over last week. Trumpet judgments. They were awful environmental judgments. They were spiritual judgments. There were judgments on humanity. Now, this takes place in an era called the Great Tribulation. And I believe, and as I've talked about in previous messages, the church will not go through this era. I believe that God will take up his church uh, to be prevented from going through these judgments. Because these are judgments of, of wrath. And so I believe the church will be taken up. But yet, the people that live through the tribulation will still have a moment They'll still have opportunities to place their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, there are some theologians that love the Bible uh, because it's kind of a gray area that believe the church will go through these judgments. And as I said last week, I'm putting my stake in the ground that I believe that God's gonna protect us from these judgments. But if we don't, I'm sorry, you can, you can chase after me with pitchforks in the tribulation, all right? Now, you would think, though, with... This one world government, there's going to be a one world government uh, during, the seven, uh, during the seven years of tribulation. There's going to be an antichrist, a ruler that is demonically uh, possessed, a, a ruler that the world will love, that he'll bring false peace, he'll bring war, he'll bring a number of things that will result in famine. Uh, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be asteroids, there'll be billions of people literally dying. You would think that within all of these calamities that will happen in this future seven-year period, you would think that anybody that was going to live through this period, they would say, we need to get right with God. You would think, right? If all these things happen, you're like, man, I just need to get right with God. But we see that wasn't the case. Revelation chapter 9, verse 13. The rest of the people who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. You would think... You would think after experiencing all these things, you would think after hearing about the witness of Jesus uh, through the church prior to the beginning of this tribulation, prior to the beginning of the end of the world, you would think people would say, you know what, I remember my grandma talking about that. You know, I remember, uh, I remember my friend before he just disappeared. I remember him talking about that. But no, there's going to be such a great deception of the heart that it's hard. It's hard. They did not repent. Repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of action. And you would think the Lord's response would be after, all, after the two sets of judgments, and there's one more set of judgment we'll get to in our second part of this series, you would think that the Lord would be like, are you kidding me? Seven judgments here, another seven judgments here, billions of people gone, and you're still hard-hearted? You'd think the Lord would be angry. It's kind of like a parent when the kid, when your kid, you ground them, uh, you send them to their room, you take away their toys, and they're still defiant. And like, oh, I don't know what to do. And so you would think this would make the Lord so angry, he would just pull the plug on all of humanity and just end it already. But the reason there are judgments and progressive judgments over a period of time is so that not everyone is killed, so that people have an opportunity to still give their lives to Christ. You see, that's called grace. When we have another day of our life, when we are able to pick ourselves up from a mistake, when we're able to walk forward from our past, that is called grace. That is called God's undeserved favor on your life that you can begin to walk in the newness of life. You see, not one of us is guaranteed another day and not one of us deserve another day. Why? Because the Bible says that sin separates you from God, for the wages of sin is death. You see, we go through this life thinking we deserve things. We go through this life thinking that we deserve heaven, but we don't. We only receive heaven by God's good, undeserved favor and our response to him. Jesus Christ is offering eternal life to every single person in this room. He's offering eternal life to every single person in Kenosha. He's offering eternal life to every single person in this world. But because of hardness of heart, we say no. Many will say no. And so it is by grace that there's another chance. That's the reason why God just doesn't pull the plug in Revelation. He's like, I'm giving you another chance to get right with God. 
Grace is that next chance. Grace is that we have another day to live for Christ. Grace is the breath in our lungs. Grace is the heartbeat that we have right now. Grace is that we can live another day and make it right with others, make it right with God. Grace is that second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, seven hundredth, seventh millionth chance that God gives you. He is a God of second chances. Let that sink in in your life. Man, there is something that you're bringing in this room this morning. And you're like, God just can't forgive that. He can't. There's something that you bring in this room and you're like, my life is forsaken. I've heard people say this before as they're coming to Kenosha City Church. That, oh man, if I go into that church, the building will just explode. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm that bad. I'm like, no, you're not. God is that good that he's gonna give you another chance. God is that good that he's able to forgive all of your sins. Well, you don't know what sin. I might not know what sin he's, uh, you're talking about, but our Lord God Almighty who resurrected and because he resurrected, I know the check will clear that he can pay for your bill. better believe, though, that there is a hardness of heart and there will be a hardness of heart after people experience judgment. You better believe in our era of comfort, in our era of plenty, in our era of, well, let's just say, this is gonna be easy compared what they will experience in the great tribulation. You better believe right now our hearts are prone to be hardened. Our hearts can become hard to the things of God there's so much vying for our attention to take us away from the things of God. If, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the enemy of your soul right now wants to prevent you from knowing God. If you know Jesus Christ personally, the enemy of your soul wants you to be put on the sidelines, wants you to be distracted, wants you to take your focus off Jesus and your focus off the cross. You know, being a kid in the 1980s, my parents made real sure to raise me right. They said, Andy, don't you dare watch MTV. Don't you dare watch The Simpsons. And all I have to say as a parent today in 2022, man, the simpler times, right? Back then you had to have a cable subscription. Back then you had to have a central TV, this big piece of furniture, right? It was gigantic. Do you remember these things? It took four people to move the TV because it was as big as your dinner table, right? And you had to literally sit down in the living room and turn on MTV and your parents are like, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, right? What are you gonna do? All right, let's move this big piece of furniture in the bedroom, all right? You just wouldn't do that. But temptation abounds now because the big piece of furniture is now in every one of our pockets, right? And it's not just vying for uh, just kids, it's vying for every single one of our attention. Today, people are getting information that's so often unvetted, untrue, unsafe. Just 30 seconds on TikTok, you can see cooking videos, dancing videos, war videos, shootings, kidnappings, a person deconstructing their faith, a person twisting scripture of saying you can live however you want sexually, uh, how to transition, and then puppies and cats. It's too much. Your brain can't take it. Your brain can't take all this information. It's like trying to read seven volumes of an encyclopedia in literally 15 seconds. Our brain can't take it. We're being numbed to information and we are being numbed to things that are false that people are saying is true. In fact, this is our main point this morning. Write this down in your notes, all right? I encourage you to take notes in this series because in a series in Revelation, if you're not gonna take notes, you're gonna get confused, all right? So write notes. Here's our main point. The battle starts in your mind. You see, often we talk about the battle happening on a battlefield or it's gonna be the battle of Armageddon and the tribulation. No, no, no. The battle has already started. The battle starts in your mind. And the war isn't just for our kids' minds, our next generation. In fact, we had a video that almost played that we're gonna talk about our next generation here in just a moment. I'm like, oh, no, 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 you're gonna, you're gonna ruin this surprise. You saw panic on my face there. Listen, it's not just for our kids. The battle for the minds are for college students. The battle for the minds are for the unmarried. The battle for our minds is for the married. It's for the adults. It's for the grandparents. If you're alive, there is a battle for your mind. And as, as, as a result, because of all the information we're taking in, all of us have become health experts all of us have become war experts, and some of us have gone so far down the black hole of conspiracy theory, we just don't know what truth is anymore. We become fighters without a cause. 
Listen, truth is not found just because the majority say it's true. Truth is not found just because a minority say it's true. Truth stands by itself. The truth of Jesus stands by itself. It is not a democracy. Truth is not determined by a mob mentality. Truth stands by the word of Jesus Christ. Amen? So do you feel there's a battle for your mind? Honestly, answer that. Do you feel like there's a battle for your mind this morning? I mean, you must feel it. I do. I feel the battle for my attention. I have to constantly say, Andy, put your focus on Jesus and the cross. If, as your pastor, I'm telling you that that is a battle for me, I, I have to imagine it's a battle for all of us. You must feel the tug and the pull to fit in with culture. Culture has so drifted down the river. You must feel the tension of living in a world of pressure. Maybe it's the pressure to keep up with the neighbors. Maybe it's the pressure of work. Maybe it's the pressure of different family structures going on. And our minds are, all of it, after these two years, our minds are literally trying to make sense. What has all happened? Am I right? Like our minds are trying to make sense. And people are like, oh, I'm fine. We're really not. We're really trying to, these things that we have traveled over these last two years are things that nobody alive, some people say World War II, that may be fair, okay, but what, for many of us in our lifetime, we have, we have navigated so many unknown things that experts would go on TV and they don't know what they're talking about either. They're trying to make sense of it. And the world is battling to give you answers. And I want you to know that just because you think something in your mind, you dream something in your mind, you feel something in your mind, it doesn't mean it's from God. It doesn't mean that it's the right answer. We need to be biblical Christians. We want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We need to be Bible Christians. Why? Because without being a Bible Christian, we don't know what voice we're listening to. We don't know if we're, we're listening to the voice on TikTok. We don't know if we're listening to one of the talking heads on the news. We don't know if we're listening to our neighbor. We don't know if we're listening to our lunch we just ate. Paul tells us what to do with our thoughts. If there's a battle for our mind, this is what he tells us to do. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he said... And every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, we will take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's not a slide on this, so I'll read it again. It's what he's telling the Corinthian church. We take every thought captive. That means every thought that we think, just because you think doesn't mean it's true. Just because you think it doesn't mean you do it. Just because it's in your mind, who knows why it's in your mind? You could have heard it somewhere. The enemy could have placed it there. What he's saying is take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because the battle starts in your mind. Now, if the battle starts in your mind and you need to be ready and you need to make sure that you're going to be successful in this battle that starts in your mind, I want to talk about three things that we have that are yours right now in Christ. If you walk with Christ, if you obey Christ, if you, if you trust him to be the leader of your life, I want you to know these three things are yours right now for the taking. Number one is Jesus gives witness. Jesus gives witness. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 11. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Jesus gives witness. He's going to give witness uh, during these battles. He's giving witness today. What does a witness do? Well, a witness warns of things to come. You have a witness in your life. It is, it is the Spirit of God. It is Jesus Christ. And a witness warns of things to come. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. The words will be on the screen for those of you that are new, but if you're with us each and every week, go to your Bible app or your physical Bible and start taking notes. I just talked to someone yesterday, and uh, they have never highlighted their Bible in, like, decades, and they're like, I finally did it. I was like, yes, all right? Revelation 11, 1. Then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words. So this is John, all right? This is the Apostle John who's seeing a vision of the end of the world. I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count those who worship there. Now this is a sentence that you just might blow right through if you're reading Revelation, like okay, I don't understand it. But this is really significant. The scene is Jerusalem during the seven year great tribulation. And we, we gave you kind of a map of what the tribulation is gonna look like, a lot of judgment. The church won't be there, at least that's my view, all right? Uh, but it'll be horrific judgments. And after all these judgments and refusal, uh, for the people to turn to the Lord, uh, the Lord is graceful in sending two witnesses. Two witnesses to evangelize those who have rejected Jesus. So after all these judgments, God's gonna send two, two witnesses to begin to preach 
the gospel to people and order them for to be saved during the great tribulation. I mean, how much does the Lord love us that even through all of this and our hardness of heart, he still sends mercy. He still sends kindness that people can be made right with him. What we see here is that he's going to send two witnesses, but I don't want us to miss this. He says in the text, we, we see an emergence of a temple in Jerusalem, a temple, which this is very, very significant. This would be the fourth temple to be constructed since Solomon's temple. The first temple being Solomon, right? You got David, David felt it in his heart, Solomon built it, right? Uh, and then uh, we had a second temple that was built during the exile. We had a third temple built uh, during the days of Herod, which that's the temple that Jesus uh, would have ministered in. Uh, that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And there'll be a fourth temple that's gonna be built during the tribulation. So that temple is right now in 2022, not there. It's not constructed yet. This fourth temple is yet future. Right now, where the temple has always been, and where the temple foundation is currently right now in 2022, uh, there is something built on that foundation. It's called the Muslim Dome of the Rock. It's an Islamic shrine. It would take an act of war to pull down this temple. But we know in Revelation chapter 11, a temple will be built on this mount, which means this. Something, something will happen in the Middle East where the Dome of the Rock will be removed. That's very controversial. Some people are like, I can't believe you're saying that. Well, this is what the Bible's saying, all right? That will probably be a major, major war. I do believe that that will happen before the tribulation. So if the tribulation were, if, if Jesus were to take up his church in our lifetime, I do believe you, we may be able to witness that in our lifetime. And so uh, the temple, the Dome of the Rock will be removed at some point. And this will obviously be part of a of probably a pretty horrific war uh, that will take place because of that or, in, or during that. And then during the tribulation, a fourth temple will be built. It will be built through the peace and protection of the Antichrist. Now, why would the Antichrist allow a fourth temple to be built? Because what we'll see here is this fourth temple will be built in Jerusalem and the sacrificial system will begin again. All right? Now... Many Christians, they get really excited when they hear about the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem. I don't know if you have been before, like, ooh, the temple could get rebuilt. I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. Well, we're not really saying it's awesome because we want to go to the temple. We're saying it's awesome because, ooh, that means Christ, is, it, he, he might be near. Like, he might be coming back in our lifetime. So if you hear people talking about a temple being built in Jerusalem and Christians get excited, they're getting excited because they're anticipating Christ's return may be near. But the temple itself is actually heresy. What we see here is this temple is being constructed and animals are being sacrificed and they're looking for a Messiah to come. That's heresy. That, 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 that's bad theology. Uh, we as Christians should never go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. We as Christians should never go back to all the, to all the festivals. In fact, it says in Hebrews 10.4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The Old Testament festivals, the temple sacrifices, and even the temple itself were pictures that pointed to the ultimate fulfillment and final sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled it on the cross and the resurrection. So therefore, we as a church will never go back to the Old Testament sacrifices. Praise the Lord. I hate bodily fluids. That would be gross, all right? We will never go back to the festivals. We'll never go back to those things found in the Old Testament. There is a movement today where people are going back to those things or they're trying to reintroduce Old Testament practices in the New Testament era. I want to tell you that is bad theology. All of those things in the Old Testament are but a picture or but a copy that are fulfilled in Christ. Why would we go back to the thing that is not perfect? Why would we go back to the thing that is not Christ? You wouldn't. We go to Christ. In fact, in the New Testament era, some Christians were making this mistake. Paul made this very clear as laid out in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 16. I'll read it for you. It says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. People in the early church are like, oh, you should do this still. You should do this Jewish practice. I'm like, no, Jesus has come. These were a shadow of the things to come. We're gonna focus on Jesus now, amen? Paul warns in uh, Colossians 2.18, he says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. And what people are doing today is they're reintroducing uh, some of these practices and what 
Paul is saying is they, they are puffed up, idle notions with an unspiritual mind. What people that are unspiritual often want to do in the church world or religious world is they want to come up across spiritual. So they'll puff up and they'll focus on many things. People who are not in the word start making things up as if they were in the word or worse often people want to be somebody, they want to be a guru on YouTube so they resort to strange teachings that gain a following. They focus on the fringe or dreams or being enlightened at the expense of the main thing. And the temple will serve as this distraction for people in the tribulation. But God sends two witnesses to clarify things, to proclaim that Jesus is king in the midst of judgment and deception. And the temple, because of these two witnesses, will actually be a place that many find Christ. Revelation chapter 11, verse three. I'll grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1260 days, that's three and a half years, dressed in sackcloth, these are the olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Jesus grants authority to two evangelists. Uh, these are two witnesses during the great tribulation. The word witness in the Greek comes from the word martyros. It's where we get martyr. In fact, to be a witness often in the early church meant that you very well could become a martyr for the faith. You could lose your life. And in fact, many people that will place their faith in Christ during the great tribulation will be martyred. In fact, the far majority of people that say yes to Jesus. So if you're gonna say yes to Jesus during the great tribulation, the seven years in the lead up to the very end, you will most likely die for your faith. So these two witnesses will prophesy during the last three and a half years of this great seven-year tribulation, and they will proclaim great judgments that are to come. Uh, they'll proclaim the separation that you'll have in Christ. Uh, if you don't place your faith and trust in him, they'll, they'll proclaim the reality of, of hell. And in doing this, they, they do this in sackcloth. Now, this is a bit strange for us here in the Western world. Sackcloth in the days of the Bible were worn when people were speaking of great sorrow. So if someone were to die or some calamity would happen, you know, we might put the flag half staff. I know that we would put on sackcloth in the biblical times. These two witnesses were mourning the judgments that were occurring and they were mourning the people's hardness of heart that they were going to spend eternity away from Christ. They were brokenhearted. Is your heart broken this morning for those that don't know Christ? Would you put on the proverbial sackcloth for your family, friends, neighbors, even strangers? Is your heart broken? You know, I, I think in the American church, I think for the most part, it's not broken, it's distracted. And one thing about Kenosha City Church, what I absolutely love here is I hear story after story of broken hearts that lead to reaching people and that we get to see the restoration of Jesus Christ played out in people's lives. Isn't that awesome? But do you have a broken heart? Often we, we, we pray that we want to have the heart of God. Often we pray that we want to see as God sees. Have you prayed that before? If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, have you prayed that? I have. Okay, very well. Those are, those are good prayers. But does your heart ache for your family or friends that are far from God? Even more, does your heart ache for your neighbors you don't even know? God, give us a broken heart. Man, man, let that be our prayer. God, help me see how you see. Give me your heart. But God, your heart's busted for those that don't know you. So God, I pray that you would give us a broken heart too. Easter's next week. Let's have a broken heart for those that don't know Christ. Not to lament or be in despair, but the anticipation of resurrections in people's lives, amen? These two witnesses are called the olive tree and two lampstands. These descriptions are ones of revival. Whenever you see all, olive oil or a lamp, it's usually tied to a revival um, in apocalyptic language. And what we see here is that these two witnesses will indeed bring about a great revival by the Spirit of God. And he's going to bring a great revival to the nation of Israel. We talked about a couple weeks past that a part of God's plan is that Israel will experience a great turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, a great revival. And it won't just be uh, localized to Israel, it'll be worldwide. So these two witnesses, even though many people are rejecting God, will, will through them, a revival will result. Now these two witnesses, as they proclaim Christ, people have asked me often, Andy, who do you think these witnesses are? 
And again, this is speculatory, but I'm going to give you some names this morning. Can we do that? All right. I believe that these two witnesses are very, very familiar uh, to uh, uh, Old Testament, uh, especially to, to Jewish uh, people going to the temple. They'd be like, whoa, wait, these are our heroes. Who are the two witnesses? Well, it's impossible to completely identify them, but I believe the two witnesses are the return of Elijah and Moses. Can you imagine? Two heroes of the Jewish faith, they're going to the temple to go slaughter a calf, and also I'm like, whoa, that's Elijah and Moses. Now, the reason why I think it was Elijah and Moses is we get some clues in the Old Testament. Malachi 4, 5 says this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah. This is a prophetic word. I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That means that the, the, the prophetic promise is that Elijah is going to show back up. Okay? I think that's a pretty good proof text. Also in 2 Kings 2.11, we see this. Elijah never died. He was raptured uh, before he could die. 2 Kings 2.11, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind, and Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him, Elisha saw him no more, and then he took the hold of his cloak and tore it in two. And so we see here Elijah, not Elisha, but Elijah, was caught up. It's that same word we see uh, in 1 Thessalonians when Paul tells the church that before the wrath of God, we're going to be caught up uh, into heaven. Uh, we see Elijah was caught up. Elijah never died. He was raptured. So I believe Elijah is one of those witnesses. I believe the second witness is that of Moses. And unlike Elijah, Moses did indeed die. We don't know exactly where Moses' body was buried, though. In fact, Scripture speaks of Moses' body being buried in a secret location by God himself. And we get a really, really weird verse in a very small book in the New Testament, the book of Jude, Jude verse 8. There's only one chapter, Jude chapter 1 verse 8. It says this, In the same way these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones, Yet when Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. All right? So there's a battle. There's a cosmic royal rumble going on uh, between Moses, or excuse me, between the archangel Michael and Satan. And they're battling over the body of Moses, right? Well, the reason why I believe they're battling over the body of Moses is the enemy knows that Moses is going to be used in the book of Revelation. He knows he's going to be used, and he knows that God intends to resurrect this body. Finally, we see the transconfiguration of Jesus. This is where Jesus appeared before Peter, James, and John in the New Testament. Matthew 17, 3, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured, that means a glory shone upon them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Again, the disciples are saying, whoa, Jesus indeed is God. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So again, these passages, again, there's people that dispute this. If I were to you know, tell you today, who do I think the witnesses are? I believe they are Elijah and Moses, and they're speaking at the fourth temple about how to be made right with Jesus. They were given what the Bible says here in, in Revelation chapter 11. They were given authority to speak. How amazing would that be? How amazing will that be? But you know, you know who else has authority? It's not just a, a reappearance of, of Moses and Elijah. It's not Jesus who's, who's bringing down judgments. No, you know who has authority? When Jesus ascended into heaven and during the church age, he says, all authority has been given to me, to you. You have all authority. You have been anointed and appointed for this time. Until Jesus Christ takes his church, until Jesus Christ comes back, you have been anointed and appointed with the same message these two witnesses are going to give. You've been anointed and appointed, not with your power, not with your wisdom, not with your know-how, not with your gifting. You've been anointed and appointed with the spirit of the living God to preach forth a message that is not of your own. Oh, people want to be cute. They want to come up with their own messages. No, we plagiarize the message of Jesus Christ. What Jesus said, we speak. Why? Because the Bible says the gospel will not return void 
That means that every single situation that we go through life, every upheaval, war, uh, uh, people battling each other in the streets, uh, disease and sickness, financial problems, fights in families, you want to know what the answer is to our hopelessness? You've been anointed and appointed to speak the result that will give you hope, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? And yet when we move away from that true north, oh, how do we get hopeless? Oh, yet when we move away from that true north, do we begin to think of all these things that ultimately don't matter? Oh, yet when we move away from that true north, we suffer. And people that should know Christ and hear about Christ don't know about Christ from the people who have been anointed and appointed to share Christ. You've been anointed and appointed with all authority in heaven. The Bible says how beautiful it is for those who bring good news. The gospel means good news. That is to share Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins, no matter what sins that you've committed, past, present, future. He's rose from the dead. It is good news. But why is the gospel to so many bad news? Why is the gospel so scary when, when, when you want to, if you're going to come to go share Jesus with my neighbor and your neighbor's like, get away from me. I don't want to hear anything about that gospel. Why is that? It's because for many of us, we forgot about the beauty, about the awe, about the miracle of what it means to place our faith and trust in Jesus. We forgot about the people that we're talking to are people, right? When you share Jesus, you aren't out to tell, you're not going to do it just to make yourself feel good and feel right, I mean, that's the polarized society we live in today. We want to share things today so that we feel good and feel right and win. That is not how we share the gospel. We share the gospel because we love that person, whether they're going to reject it or not. We need to have the heart of Jesus who, after being rejected time and time and time again, sent two witnesses. We need to have the heart of Jesus that even if someone were to malign us, hate us, shoot at us, whatever it is, we're still going to love them. Because the gospel's the answer, church. Someone asked me, okay, I want, I want to share that gospel. How do I share it? Well, we're going to share in a couple of weeks about an opportunity that you can be trained in that. Stay tuned. But let me just give you a little preview. How do we share the gospel? One app that we shared with last week, it's called Life in Six Words. We shared this last week. You can download an app called Life in Six Words. And there it helps you articulate what is the gospel message? But that's the thing. It's if, if you want to know how to share the gospel message, you need to know how to articulate it. It's not hard to articulate once you understand what's the essence of the gospel message, that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected. And so we encourage you to download that app. It's a great resource to share. There will be trainings in the, in, in the near future we'll share as well. But when you begin to share, though, it's not just what you know. It's also in your approach. How do you approach somebody when you want to share Jesus with them. Obviously, you're praying. Obviously, you're doing a lot of the heart work on, on, on you're your being aware of who God has placed in your life. But when it goes to that moment of when you're going to talk to somebody about Jesus, I want you to think of this, triple A. All right, everybody say that together. Triple A, all right? What is triple A? When you approach somebody, I want you to think of ask, admire, and admit. When you go to somebody, it's so easy just to tell them what you think, Right? In anything in life. Well, this is what I think. And because you listed everything, you're like, they understand now. I think they might agree. Well, how do you know they agreed? They nodded their head and smiled and listened. Listen, they're just hearing you, all right? How do you know that they even agreed with a thing? You don't know. The key is this. Isn't going just to start talking to them, right? That's the admit part. Admit is talking. That's what we typically do is you start talking at somebody. We don't want to talk at somebody. We want to talk with somebody. How do you talk with somebody? This is something that could even be marriage tips, all right? All right, you could ask, admire, admit your wife, right? So, or your husband, right? You ask questions. Hey, I noticed uh, on, on Sunday morning, uh, you, you have a routine. Can, can you kind of tell me about it? I don't know. You can ask, hey, it could be just family questions, work questions, right? When I'm on the plane, I know I'm a pastor, so this one, it, it, short, it short circuits just a little bit sooner. Uh, but when I'm on the plane and they're like, I say, hey, what do you do for a living? And I find it really fascinating. I sit next to really fascinating people that do fascinating things on planes. But whenever they get done talking about, usually they say, and what do you do? And I'm like, oh, here we go, right? I'm a pastor, all right? And they're like, oh, crud, right? <laughs> anyway, it's just funny. But anyway, I just go back, but I go back to asking questions again because I think immediately I'm going to start preaching to them right? And the idea is this. You want to begin asking spiritual questions. And as you begin to ask spiritual questions, ask what you, see what you can admire, right? 
What can you admire about somebody who's maybe even a different religion, okay? It could be that they're devout or that, or that they're trying to search for answers for eternity, right? It doesn't mean they're right, but their heart is searching for something in the same way our heart searched for something, but we just found the answer in Jesus, right? That he is the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus, right? So the whole idea is to find, okay, what can we admire about this person and then admit to them, hey, you know what? Jesus, the grace of Jesus, right? Because most people in life, they're just working their way. They're trying to work their way to God or work their way into a better life. And when you realize it's not about work, it's about Jesus that's provided all the work. He's done all the work and you receive. You know what happens almost nine times out of 10? People are like, whoa, that's not, a, that's not anything I've ever heard about religion or anything I've heard about church or Jesus. I'm like, I know. Jesus has gone to the cross and he said it's finished. He did all the work. We just got to receive it. Man, it is so good. But it means that we really care about the person and that we're talking with the person and not talking at the person. Anyway, there'll be a training on this. I really hope that you can join us for that. And in the future, we'll, we'll uh, share that in the weeks to come. But think of AAA, ask him, I admit. We begin the authority not to beat somebody down with our Bible. We begin the authority to lovingly share the truth of God in a way that is indeed good news. The gospel means good news. It was a secular word. If it's good news, let's treat it as such, right? And just as, as much the two witnesses in the book of Revelation have the authority, we have that authority too. But the battle, it starts in our minds. And we don't think we have that authority. The battle, it starts in our minds. Uh, we, we start listening to our voices and we feel like we're, we're disqualified. We're not qualified to talk about the things of God. We begin to think of everything that we've ever done wrong. Uh, we don't think that we can say it right. Or we think of somebody else that could do it better. And our, the battle in our minds will always have us just sit idle because there's so many reasons why we can't do it. No, that's not true. You're a child of God, empowered by the spirit of God, with a message from God. All you have to be is a conduit of the power of God. Jesus gives witness and you are a witness a witness warns the things to come. Another way, another thing a witness does is a witness can't be stopped. Revelation chapter 11, verse seven. The two witnesses, when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war on them, conquer them and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the main street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And some of the people's tribes, languages, and nations will view their bodies for three and a half days and not permit their bodies to be put in a tomb. Those who live on the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. So people, through this three and a half years of their witness, tried to kill them. And in a passage we didn't read this morning, they literally, uh, some pretty freaky things happened that people that tried to kill the witnesses. God protected Moses and Elijah, who I believe them to be. He protected them from being killed. But when they finished their testimony, we see something absolutely crazy. A satanic beast is coming out of an abyss. This is the Antichrist. He is a human world leader of a united one world nation indwelled by demons. And he has had enough of these witnesses. He is going to do something that the people on earth would not do. And he killed them. He killed them. And you know what? The news spread throughout all of the world. The people's hearts were so hardened that people from all over the area came and witnessed the bodies. And they gloated, the Bible says. I imagine people are scrolling on social media. They're like, can you believe this? They're, they're liking it. They're, they're sharing it. Uh, they're, they're sending it to all their family and friends over a messenger. They killed him. Uh, our great and glorious leader. I'm sure he has a name. They won't call him the Antichrist because they'll think he is like Christ, right? But the Antichrist killed him. Can you believe this? Woo! It is so amazing to these people that if they weren't in the local area to gloat at the bodies in person, they canceled work, they made it a national holiday, and they began to exchange what the Bible says, gifts. People ran to the stores. They wrapped up presents. And because they weren't celebrating Christmas anymore, this was their new Christmas. The death of these two witnesses, they could not shut up. And they thought because they were dead, their problems would be over, and they persecuted them. You know what? These two witnesses were martyred. They were witnesses. They were martyred. You know, people are martyred right now all over the world. Did you know that? Right now, people in churches are dying to worship, literally. In fact, look at this map. These are the nations right now where people are being lightly to severely persecuted for their faith. All right? The redder the nation, the worse it is. I would even contend that China should be a hard red. All right? 
Russia should also be filled in as well. And my time in there, Russia, at any moment, will confiscate a church building. I'd also contend there should be another shade of colors emerging out of here, and that is, um, that, that is a different form, I would say, economic persecution against the church, and that would begin spreading across Europe. But this is traditionally where we see the numbers. This is where people are actually counting the numbers right now of people that are being tormented or put to death for their faith. In fact, last year in 2021, 360 million Christians in these nations face significant persecution for their faith. That amounts to one in seven Christians right now in the world are facing significant persecution. And we need to pray for them. We need to pray for our persecuted church. As we sit here not worrying about being persecuted for our lives, we need to pray for those that this morning, right now, as they're going to church, they are. One in seven believers in the world today, we need to pray for them. Their lives should serve as a witness. People are dying statistically every day for their faith in this world. And in our freedoms right now, we need to be a witness. You see, the tombs of the scoffers are full around the world of those that have scoffed at Jesus and then since died. But there's one tomb that is empty, that's our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Critics may come and go, but Jesus' message cannot and will not be stopped. And I want you to know that for all the people that are dying for their faith around the world today, they may be put to death, but what they cannot take is their eternal life in Jesus Christ. They may be put to death, but I want you to know that when you kill somebody that's speaking the gospel, you just poured gasoline on the gospel. You can kill the messenger, but you cannot kill the message, amen? So a message cannot be stopped, and we see that as they're gloating over the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. You, you can't stop because a witness lasts beyond a lifetime. Revelation chapter 11, verse 11. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Can you imagine? These his bodies are probably bloating. There's rigor mortis kicking in, right? They're in the middle of the street there, and they're dancing, they're like, look at these, and they're, they're having a three-day drunken fest, and then all of a sudden, one begins to cough, <coughs> right? And they just stand to their feet, and they're like, Whoa! oh no, they're alive. Imagine this. They thought they had defeated the gospel. Imagine this. Three and a half days later, God breathes new life into the corpses. They stand up on their feet, and they are alive. But their message is finished. They're not going to start a whole new sermon. What we see here is they are raptured into heaven. You can't stop the gospel. Oh, how many of us need to hear this in 2022? You can't stop the gospel if you received it, you're made new. Yesterday's mistakes, they are gone. You can't stop the purposes of God. Uh, what, what do you feel like you're fighting against this morning? That's what I want to know. You can't stop the purposes of God. What are you fighting against? What, what is fighting against your soul to take your, your, your attention uh, off the cross of Jesus Christ? What happens is when we are submitting to a fight that's not our fight, uh, we begin to fight against our neighbor. Uh, we, we begin to fight, maybe we're fighting with our health or our finances, maybe we're fighting against depression. Uh, listen, here's the deal. When we take in any of those things, whether good, bad, or ugly, when we focus on those things, we are no longer focusing on the victory that Jesus bought on the cross. We need to stop trying to find meaning in ourselves when we find ourselves in adversity. You know that when the tough gets going, you know what ends up happening? We try to find answers within our own selves. We need to stop trying to be our own resurrection. Let me say that again. Oftentimes when the tough gets going, we try to find the answers within our own soul. You will not find a lasting answer. You may find a temporary one. You may find something that makes you happy. Take the edge off, right? You may find something to numb your pain a little bit, but it will wear off. It is not the answer to your soul. We need to stop trying to be our own resurrection. We cannot provide life in our life that feels like it's depleting. We need to let the breath of God breathe a new life in us. We need the spirit of God to fill us afresh, to give us his vision. When you feel like you're down for the count, when you feel like you've been knocked out, when you feel like that you've literally fallen down and you can't get up, and you know what it's like, sometimes like this, when you're lying in bed, I have to go to work, I have to face that person, I have to do this. When you focus on those things, you can't get up, but when you focus on the Spirit of God, and you say, good morning, Holy Spirit, your spirit, your, your, your mercies are new, your grace is fresh, you can get right back up and say, God, I'm following you this morning. I'm following you this morning. The battle starts in your mind, and the battle says, you have the answers in your heart, you don't. 
So Lord God Almighty, he provides that resurrection. You have to let your mind know who you really are in Christ. You're a child of God. He is for you. He is not against you. And when the breath of God comes into your lungs, you have what it takes. You're anointed and appointed all authority to advance the gospel in your life and to live a victorious life in Christ. Do you believe that, church? Man, what, is the, what are the battles that are going on in your heart that you just, it's just, it's worn right now? It is not yours to fight. It's God's. The battle starts in your mind. Jesus gives a witness. He gives you a witness for you to be a witness. Second thing that God gives is he gives an inheritance. Revelation eleven fifteen. after the two witnesses are done, we see the seventh angel blow the seventh trumpet. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there are loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Last week, we went through the horrific trumpet judgments, and the seventh trumpet, after the two witnesses are taken up, is blasted, and the seventh seal is opened, and there will be the, there that seventh seal actually inaugurates the seven final judgments before the end of the world. That's what we'll get into in part two. But notice this. By the way, notice this. No matter how many people reject Jesus, no matter how powerful the nations think they will ever be, nothing can stop the kingdom of God. And Jesus will reign forever and ever. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming and nothing and no situation, no person, nothing can stop it. And if you're in Christ Jesus, I want you to know the battle may be in your mind, but one of the things that we seed so quickly in the battle is that we're children of God with a great inheritance. You have an inheritance that cannot be taken from you. But yet, oftentimes when we think of inheritance, we think of our earthly inheritance. I remember when my grandpa died, his house was put up for sale and all the possessions were sold in the house. All these memories and knickknacks I saw from a child all the way up into my 30s. I saw all these knickknacks go for pennies on the dollar. Pennies on the dollar. Yeah, you have the, the, the auctioneer. I'm like, oh, that was, I, I like that, right? And it's like literally going for five bucks. And it made me think of all the things I have in my house now. All the things that I cherish and we lock our door at night so someone doesn't thieve it. Some auctioneer is going to be in our home some decades later, right? And it's going to go for pennies on the dollar. That's the inheritance we give all our attention for. And Jesus is telling us, don't short circuit yourself and short sell yourself for the real inheritance that doesn't go down in value. It's the inheritance you have in Jesus Christ. No auctioneer can take that from you. Death cannot take that from you. In fact, death inaugurates that for you. Our inheritance is not of this world. It's a kingdom that's forever. The battle starts in your mind, though, wants you to forget that. But remember, Jesus gives you inheritance that will not end. Third and final this morning is Jesus gives you protection as we wait for that inheritance. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no peace from them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who was called the devil, Satan, the one who deceives the world, he was thrown out to earth and his angels with him. Chapter 12 of Revelation is kind of a parenthetical. It's kind of, it, 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 it literally shows us uh, what has been happening in the world all throughout history. And in this particular passage, we see a cosmic royal rumble breakout be, uh, between the archangel Michael who's the ultimate warrior, literally, of angels, and who defends the people of God throughout Scripture. And we see Satan, after killing the witnesses, goes up to the outer rim of heaven. Satan is so prideful, he thinks he can go to the outer rim of heaven and go in, all right? And the archangel Michael's like, oh, no, you don't. You can't come in here. And a big cosmic battle royal breaks out, and Michael body slams the dragon, who is Satan, back to earth. And there he goes back, and he's like, all right, back to earth. He begins to deceive people and make war with people. He is so prideful. He knows the end of the war is coming, and he wants to take as many people down with him. We see this in tyrants all throughout history. When they know they're losing the war, they begin shooting all the POWs. Like, if I'm going down, you're going down with me. There's not a benevolent dictator, and Satan is the dictator of all dictators, and he's not benevolent. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and authority of his... Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day to night has been thrown down. God is so victorious. We have an enemy who wants you, to, to, he wants to battle in your mind to do what? He wants to accuse you. 
He wants to accuse you with so many things. And the winning, the winning battle of an accusation is to actually believe what Satan is saying. When you spiritually grow and you break strongholds in your life, you better believe the enemy is going to show back up to accuse you of your past. You better believe when, 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 when strongholds are broken in areas or churches, when people are reaching new people, you better believe that the enemy is going to attack. He is the great accuser. He accuses you that you don't know how to pray. He accuses, you know, one time I, we did a, we did a uh, uh, city group and there was this person, he didn't, think like he, did, he didn't think he could pray out loud. And I didn't know that. And I was like, hey, would you pray out loud? And he goes, oh, sure. He prayed out loud and he was so panicked. After city group, he left it a little early. After city group, he went right to the ER. He's thinking he's having a heart attack. All right. We, we, we joke about it today, but it's like, man, do you remember when I asked you to pray for the city group and you almost had a heart attack? He's like, uh-huh. Right. But he didn't think that he had the authority and power to pray. That's what the enemy does. He tells us that we don't know how to pray. He tells us we, don't, we can't hear from God. He tells us that we can't understand his word. He loves to accuse us into submission. But we see that's not our lot. If you're in Christ Jesus, listen to this wonderful, glorious promise. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down with a great fiery fury, because he knows his time is short. We have victory because we have the blood of the testimony, right? We, we, we understand that we have the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. We know that we are victorious because even the enemy himself knows that his time is short. Listen, if you're in Christ, your time is long, but I want you to know this, the enemy knows his time is short. So what does that mean? It means we need to win the battle for our mind. Here's our prep kit for this week. Where does the enemy have a foothold? You need to name that right now. Where does the enemy have a foothold in your life? Secondly, where do you doubt the promises of God? Wherever the enemy has a foothold in your life, that's where you will definitely doubt the promises of God, all right? Where does the enemy have a foothold? Where do you doubt the promises of God? And finally, here is the big victory that you're gonna start sharing in people's lives. We're gonna see people say yes to Jesus all across this room in two services. And in part, it's gonna be done. Yes, we know God's at work and everything and he gets all the glory, but he also has chosen to use us. We're gonna rejoice because we know that because of you and your witness, people are gonna connect to Jesus next week. Amen? We're gonna thank him and praise him already for that. So let's pray. There's gonna be battles won in our mind this morning. Let's pray, because God is bringing many of you into that era and, and knowing that you've been anointed and appointed for this season. So Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray for those individuals that, that feel like they can't have a relationship with you. They think of all the things that they're, the enemy's accusing them right now. Oh, you remember when you did this? Oh, remember when you said that? Nobody even knows about that. What, you think God can accept you? Those are accusations. And Lord, I pray that you squash them this morning. Lord, I pray that people are freed uh, in you this morning, God. I pray that people would come to know you in a deep personal way. Or if people have known you, they would say, Lord, I'm coming to you afresh today knowing that I have all my forgiveness found in you. In fact, as we pray this morning, and just ask God, just ask, just reveal to you, like, where are you doubting God? Where are these strongholds? I just wanna to talk to anybody in this room as we continue to pray. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, there's nothing holding you back or preventing you from receiving Jesus. Did you know that? Ask yourself right now, are you 100% confident that you are going to spend eternity in heaven? If you're not sure if you're going to heaven, today you can be made sure. This is how you do it. It's acknowledging that you were created by God it's acknowledging that you've done wrong in your life. It's called sin. Sin separates you from Almighty God. It's acknowledging that there's nothing you can do to take away your sin. It's acknowledging, here it is, I need Jesus. We just tell Jesus that right now, Jesus, I need you. It's placing your full faith and trust in Christ alone, that he died for your sins, past, present, and future on the cross. He took all of your sins, and because he's a perfect sacrifice, he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead. And your response is this, confessing right now with your mouth, Lord Jesus, Jesus, I believe that you're God, I believe that you're Savior, I believe that you're Lord. Confess with your mouth, just tell him that right now. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God rose 
him from the dead, you will be saved. So just tell him that right now. Lord Jesus, I pray there'd be people over this room this morning that say yes to you. In fact, if you know that you, you want Jesus in your life this morning, and you want to be certain that you're going to heaven, and today you're saying, Lord Jesus, I'm in. Lord Jesus, I'm placing my faith and trust in you alone. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you're like, Jesus, I need you this morning. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I'm placing my faith and trust in you. If that's you, just raise your hand up high right now on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise those hands up high and say, yes, I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Raise a hand up high. I see you. Awesome. Anybody else? Raise a hand up high and say, I'm, I'm going in. I'm asking Jesus to forgive me. I'm placing my faith and trust in him alone. Awesome. Hands across this room this morning. Amazing what God is doing in this room. So Father, thank you so much for those that are choosing you this morning. And Lord, I now pray for every stronghold to be broken in here. I pray for the person that they've been praying to you a certain prayer request and it just has not been answered and they're just wobbling. God, give them the faith to know that you're at work even when they don't see it. God, fill us with your love and your presence this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.